0: A recent Wall Street Journal report claims that social media algorithms are steering predators towards children online. So what can be done? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, Israel is facing growing diplomatic isolation as civilian deaths mount and a humanitarian catastrophe worsens. Plus, the United States Supreme Court has decided to hear a major case regarding access to an abortion pill. But first... While modern technology connects people around the world, it's also become an avenue for predators to victimize children. We're more connected now than ever before, especially as our devices make it easier to communicate with new messaging and video apps. But these technological advancements are increasingly dangerous for children. For more, we're joined by Maureen Flatley from the advocacy group Stop Child Predators. Maureen, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So first, for people who are not familiar with Stop Child Predators, can you explain more about the national nonprofit and what it does?
1: Sure. This is a grassroots organization that was started quite some time ago to emphasize support for law enforcement when it comes to child victimization. And of course, the scenario that we see today is something that is unique and growing and requires more uh, law enforcement support than ever.
0: Now, you were the lead author of the White Paper. What did that entail and what did you discover?
1: Well, first of all, I'm the daughter of an FBI agent who spent most of his career on Capitol Hill working for the Senate Racketeering Committee. So... I kind of grew up in an environment where I saw large systems attack large organized crime problems. And as we looked at the public policy responses to this particular problem, we saw a tremendous amount of criticism of the technology companies involved, but we saw virtually no criticism of the actual criminals and very little, if any, emphasis on the law enforcement that's needed to combat this problem. We think that this is not a tech problem, really. This is a crime problem. And unless we invest in law enforcement and begin to assist the tech companies, this is this problem will never be solved adequately.
0: So why is criminal justice at the core of efforts to prevent child exploitation online?
1: Well, The tech companies are mandated reporters. And so actually without them, we would probably know very little about what's going on in terms of child victimization, but they're not the perpetrators. The criminals are the perpetrators. And frankly, the tech companies aren't the police either. So putting them in a position of having to fend off this growing and um, extremely troubling and serious growth in criminal activity, strikes us as really missing the point. So as we move through and analyze the public policy responses, we could see some major gaps in what was being proposed. And sort of like um, in some cases, suing the person that calls the fire department while your house is burning down. Um, These companies have been the major source of information. Without them, there would be no cyber tips. And so we're very concerned that we have not invested enough in law enforcement. We're not doing enough to help the tech companies partner with law enforcement to fend off these
0: continuous assaults that they're all experiencing. So what more can Congress and the White House do to protect children from criminals? Well, I think we, we see two very clear objectives in the short term.
1: One is that there's actually a law that's already been passed, but it hasn't been implemented very effectively called the Protect Act. It was actually one of the last bills that Senator then-Senator Joe Biden passed when he was in the Senate. It was a broadly bipartisan initiative. But recently, uh, there have been some very serious analyses of the bill, which point out that the bill hasn't been implemented, it hasn't really been funded, and DOJ hasn't created some of the um, programs that the bill recommended. Uh, Then, of course, you have the issue of money. And without some additional spending on law enforcement, there's no way that anyone can keep up. One of the things that we found so distressing in looking at the data for the white paper was that while the number of cyber tips has grown dramatically, again, mostly reported by the tech companies, the number of arrests and convictions of the perpetrators has been almost non-existent. And so really to propose anything that doesn't include an aggressive law enforcement response to this will certainly not address the problem, will certainly not protect kids and will actually probably perpetuate a growing cycle of abuse because we know that this is a crime that has an extremely high recidivism rate.
0: With about 30 seconds left, uh, any reasons why the current policies are failing?
1: Well, because people are focused on the wrong thing. When you, when you talk about one bill proposes to make the tech companies liable in civil court, um, But there's really no emphasis on making the criminals accountable. And that would be like, you know, accepting the the civil penalties and not taking the criminals off the street. The victimization would never would never end. So we're hopeful that the White House and Congress will understand that implementing the Protect Act is essential. Um, Passing the Invest in Child Safety Act, which is the one bill that has a tremendous amount of emphasis on law enforcement that would allow the Protect Act to reach its true potential would be uh, extremely, extremely powerful. But as it is, simply criticizing the tech companies without understanding that this this is a crime problem. It's a serious crime problem and one that we have to treat as such and bring law enforcement to the table and help them get the tools they need to take these people off the street.
0: Maureen, thank you so much for your time today. Israel announces its worst combat losses in more than a month after an ambush in the ruins of Gaza. The nation is facing growing diplomatic isolation as civilian deaths mount in a humanitarian catastrophe.
2: The Israeli military on Wednesday released this footage purporting to show fierce house-to-house battles with Hamas militants in the shell-shocked Shazaya district of Gaza City. And it showcases how, despite Israel's overwhelming superiority in the air, in tanks, and with artillery, Palestinian resistance remains lethal. Underscoring that reality, Israel said on Wednesday 10 of its soldiers were killed in an ambush in the prior 24 hours in an operation to rescue another group of soldiers that came under fire. Among those killed were Lieutenant Colonel Tomer Grinberg, who was buried on Wednesday. It was the worst one day loss since 15 soldiers were killed on October 31st. Fighting has only intensified amid the rubble in the northern part of the Gaza Strip, where Israel had previously claimed its military objectives had been largely met. <laughs> Israel's devastating assault on Gaza has killed more than 18,000 Palestinians, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, including thousands of young children. This body was recovered from the rubble of an airstrike in Rafah. This man cries, these are children. Children, do they kill anyone other than children? The death toll has sparked an international outcry. The United Nations General Assembly this week passed a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire. Israel's foreign minister on Wednesday said it would wage war on Hamas with or without international support after militants launched a surprise attack on October 7th rampaging through Israeli communities, killing 1,200 people and taking hundreds of hostages. Gazans fleeing destruction have crowded into shelters in the south, overwhelming the health system already strained by a lack of fuel and medicine. Lynn Hastings is the United Nations Humanitarian Coordinator for the Occupied Palestinian Territories.
1: We all know that the healthcare system is or has collapsed. We've got a textbook formula for epidemics and a public health disaster. This is in part, of course, because the shelters have long ago exceeded their full capacity uh, with people lining up for hours just to get to a toilet. One toilet available for hundreds of people. You can imagine what the sanitation conditions are like as a
2: result. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan plans to travel to Israel on Thursday and Friday to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu amid U.S. efforts to pressure Israel to dial back what President Joe Biden has called the, quote, indiscriminate bombing. Of Gaza,
0: The United States Supreme Court has decided to hear a major case regarding access to an abortion pill. This comes after the court ended its recognition of a constitutional right to abortion in 2022.
3: The U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday agreed to hear a bid by President Joe Biden's administration to preserve broad access to a major abortion pill. The justices took up the administration's appeal of an August decision by the New Orleans-based Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals that would curb how the pill called Mifepristone is delivered and distributed. They are expected to hear arguments in the coming months and issue a decision by the end of June, which sets up another major ruling on reproductive rights to land in the middle of a heated presidential race.
0: What we've seen now.
3: Elaine Comark is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution.
0: I think the political implications are mammoth. And I think that all through this, ever since they decided against Roe v. Wade, people have underestimated just how important this is to most Americans, especially to American women.
3: Mifepristone is taken with another drug called misoprostol to perform medication abortion and was approved as safe and effective by the FDA in 2000. It accounts for more than half of all U.S. abortions and has been used by millions of American women. So it's always hard. Harvard law professor Glenn Cohen explains what's at stake in the decision. So these are the main things that are on the table. Uh, Up to what week can you use this drug? Does a physician have to be the one to administer it? How many visits and whether those visits have to be in person? I think it's just really important to kind of uh, focus on how exceptional what's going on in this case is and how motivated it is by antipathy towards abortion and abortion access in this country. The Fifth Circuit's decision rolled back FDA actions that had made the drug easier to access in recent years, including a 2021 action under Biden allowing the pill to be prescribed remotely and sent by mail, instead of requiring an in-person doctor visit.
2: So you'll do the first dose? And a
3: 2016 action under Democratic former President Barack Obama allowed mifepristone to be used at up to 10 weeks of pregnancy, up from seven. Now the U.S. Supreme Court will review only the question about whether that latter piece, uh, changing the access regime to the pre-2016 status, was appropriate or not. And that's the question the Supreme Court has agreed to hear. So what that means is that the Supreme Court is not interested in uh, completely Uh, making mifepristone unavailable, but it's completely undoing the FDA approval.
0: For more, head to tickernews.co. I'll see you soon. More right after this.